Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is the podcast about infertility, IVF, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Gabby. And I'm Emma. And we're both card carrying members of the Infertility Club. Yeah. Hey, guys. Hello. We are here, but a day late. We are a day late. We're really sorry, so guys. Sorry. It, it was my fault because I flew in from New York at 8am on Sunday morning and I was meant to come and do the record with Emma and I think she sensed that I wasn't really able for it. <laughs> I, I honestly think the worst thing you can do is make a person who's going through infertility wait for something. We're evil people. No, <laughs> they don't mind. <coughs> 24 little hours. Yeah, sorry about that coughing bit. Um, I'm not very well. Oh, Emma's a bit sick. Yeah, a bit poorly. Anyway, um, so this week we are speaking to the amazing Dee Armstrong. Yeah. She is awesome. And we're talking about... Sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and something that... I don't know the words. Anyway, yeah, we're talking about sex, which for me... Yeah, I think we were both a bit. We were both a bit like squirming oh, a little matron. bit. <laughs> oh, I loved it. It was so good. It's one of those interviews that I think I, I think I laughed or I at least beamed the entire way through. <laughs> we pulled a lot of faces at each other, didn't we? we did because um, Dee was on the phone, so we were recording it over the phone. Yeah. Um, and also Emma's husband John was sitting on the couch giggling. I forgot. About that. <laughs> oh, that was good. Um, yeah. Also. We've got no Professor Tim this week. No, no. And I'm, I'm going to take the blame for that one as well. <laughs> Basically, guys, I switched from Apple to Google. And um, controversial, I know. And I've discovered that you can't get the same call recording app on Android. And so I kind of, in the last minute, was trying to sort it out yesterday before I spoke to him and it didn't work. And so oh. there's no Professor Tim this week. No Professor Tim this week. Well, we'll try and get it for next week, but we might not. But there's a chance we might a busy not. Man. I don't really know. Yeah, exactly. Getting time in his diary is challenging. Yeah. So, so we, we will endeavour to fix that. And yeah. My apologies. Hopefully he'll be back next week. But yeah. maybe not. Oh, God, don't say it like that. It makes me feel really bad. <laughs> um, we've got something to address. Yeah, we do. We've probably received more complaints in the last week than we have during the whole of the rest of our time having this podcast. Yeah, we feel a bit battered and bruised, yeah, actually. Yeah, we do. A bit sore. 
Um, a lot of complaints about a lot of different things. Mm. But one of those things is our interview with Rohan Silva and um, the way he talked about the NHS. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, we've kind of tried to address NHS bashing before mm-hmm. um, because obviously... You know, when we're talking about our experiences, sometimes with the NHS, they aren't positive. And admittedly, Rohan's experience with the NHS was very negative, And he was honest about that. And, you know, it's it's a hard one because when someone's telling you their story... It, often it's very personal, isn't it? Yeah. We didn't want to tell him... I don't know. It's hard. We didn't want to tell him to shut the fuck up, basically. And we didn't... You know, this isn't the kind of podcast where we get in fights with the people that we interview... No. Um, this is the kind of podcast where we we try and be as welcoming to our guests as possible. But I do I do feel I do understand some of the complaints. Like I think that it you know if you were listening to that and you were going to start your IVF at an NHS clinic, you might feel really down about that if you heard it. But I think we do try and add balance because you know yeah. I talk about my experience all the time with the NHS and mine has been wholly positive. Yeah, you're in like a brand new building. Oh, aren't I can't you? I can't say enough good things about my clinic yeah. and my experience there. So you know I ho- I would hope that if you were listening to all of our podcasts that you would ha- have the kind of dark and the light. Yeah, I mean my experience um, with the NHS has been it was fairly positive to begin with and then it got a bit negative. Um, and that was partly to do with my own frustrations that nothing was happening and nothing was moving forward partly to do with my frustrations that I didn't feel heard I've never named the clinic I don't think that I was with yeah but you know I think it's very dependent on, on who's treating you as well like I had some doctors who were great I had some doctors who weren't I had some nurses who were great I had some nurses who were not so empathetic mm. um, and you know, one of the one of my chief problems with my clinic was their phone system and the fact that I could never get through to people when I wanted to, to the point where, like, sometimes I would... Well, when I had my failed round, I just got an email that said, we will get back to you in five working days, mm. which seemed to me a little bit inhuman. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but then, you know, when I went through the difficulties with my pregnancy, they were amazing. Yeah. They were just, like... You know, they they let me go in for scans whenever I wanted. They were just really supportive and kind, and you know, helpful. So yeah, it's you know, it's a mixed bag. Even if you're one clinic, yeah, it is a mixed bag. I'm sure. Um, but that doesn't mean you know. I would say you know we're sorry if anyone was listening and and they were upset by what they heard. Like that's the last thing we would ever ever yeah. want. Obviously, that's not what we're here to do. So so deepest apologies for that if that was the case and and we do you know the NHS is a is a mixed bag I you know we do have a great experience there and some people don't and that's just I think the way it is and obviously our podcast is honest and as honest as possible so yeah well the the NHS has saved my life twice and got me knocked up so yeah but that doesn't mean that we can't hold it to account when it's not giving the quality of treatment that we're owed and that doesn't necessarily mean the people who work in there yep. are doing it that's partly to do with funding um and you know if we can't hold it to account then we can't hold those with the money bags to account and we can't voice to our politicians and those who run it mm. that we deserve better yeah i think okay. in my opinion 
Yeah. I'm quite outspoken about this. That's okay. That's okay. Um, but yeah, thanks to everyone that emailed us. Um, and uh, yeah, we do apologise and we'll keep an eye on it from now on. Yeah. Um, yeah, and if you do want to get in touch with us, if you want to hold off just for one week... Yeah, the, like we are emails. feeling a little bit bruised, um, <laughs> as I said. So maybe if you find on bridge with this episode, just don't let us know until until maybe a few weeks time, <laughs> yeah. and then we can address it. When <laughs> <laughs> we just feel a bit stronger, oh. less tired. Oh. Um, um, yeah. So please email us. It's bigfatnegativepodcast at gmail dot com. It is bigfatnegativepodcast at gmail dot com. I never say that bit. Or you could you know get in touch with us on Instagram, which is bigfatnegative. Or Twitter, which is also Big Fat Negative. Or Facebook, which is Big Fat Negative. Indeed it is. It is. Um, yeah. So we'll speak to you soon, guys. Yeah. Hey, guys. Hey. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah? 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 Yeah, yeah I'm uh, ovulating. Congratulations. At the moment, so I'm keen to uh, get home and seduce my husband. What? Is this um is this the technology that we previously discussed that has told you that or is that something else? No, this is natural, just all me. Oh, so we've gone natural. Yeah. So yeah, we yeah. are measuring cervical mucus. We now. are, we are. Oh, oh lovely. Yes, lovely. and I can confirm that mine is uh plentiful. Uh huh. Plentiful and egg whitey. Uh, I couldn't tell you what colour it is. Okay. I haven't gone that far. I haven't looked that closely, okay. and I have not touched it before you asked. <laughs> But yeah, that's, I mean, that's literally what I'm thinking about right now because we've been talking about cervical mucus quite a lot today. So I thought I'd um, out myself and tell the truth. Well, congratulations. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Yeah, I just need to go home and play it cool with my husband. Get him into bed. Feel all right, babes? Uh, How are you? What have you been doing? (laughs) Not thinking about shagging, that's for sure. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, I. As you will know if you listened to last week's episode, I have been to the breast clinic. Yay! Way. How was that? It was fine. Did you have a mammogram? No, I did not. Okay. I basically went along to the pink zone of Lewisham Hospital, which is apt, isn't it? The lady zone. Yeah, lady zone. Oh, take me to the lady zone. Um, and so I went up there and saw the first consultant who just had a good feel. Um, was a man or a woman? It was a lady. She copped a feel. She did cop a feel. And she she was fairly confident that it that having had a good feel that it was a cyst. But she could, and I told her that it had gone down quite significantly by the time I went to the clinic and I told her that and she was like it's probably a cyst but um I'm going to ask you to go down and have an ultrasound and she did a little drawing on my boob where the lump was which I thought was quite funny using a sharpie yeah I think it was a sharpie yeah 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 yeah. um and so yeah so I I kind of left her office like thank you madam went to a different went to a different zone I can't remember which one it was this time um and yeah I had an ultrasound which was basically you know the little kind of rolly guy put some jelly on my boob and then had a roll around and um yeah it turns out that it definitely yeah it was a cyst it wasn't one cyst it was multiple cysts oh lovely yeah Apparently, I've got really cysty boobs. Oh. She was like, yeah, you've got a lot of cysts. And I was like, is that a problem? 
And she was like, no, it's all fine. It's all completely natural. Um, and the lump you could feel was actually a number of, of cysts. And um, so, yeah, uh, I got given actually a very helpful leaflet, which I'm going to read from <laughs> for those of you who are interested. Please. <laughs> Is everybody sitting comfortably first? Yes, please do. Um, Sometimes fluid-filled sacs develop in the breast tissue. These are breast cysts. Breast cysts are benign, non-cancerous, or a benign, non-cancerous condition. They are one of the most common causes of of breast lumps and can develop in either either one or both breasts. It is thought that they develop naturally as the breast changes with age in response to normal changes in hormone levels or abnormal changes in hormone levels, a.k.a. IVF. And it is common to have more than one cyst. Um, I, I Yeah, it's just... Whatever. I was just like, this, this is information that would have been really helpful before I did my IVF round, because yeah. I, I don't think I would have been as freaked out. Yeah, but then if you had found a lump, you still should have got it checked out. But, well, that's the conclusion I came to. kind of came to. I was like, the reason they obviously don't tell you is because they don't want you to find one and then be like, oh, well, that's a cyst, so I won't do anything about it. Yeah. They want you to go and get it checked out. But I do kind of feel like pre-warning would be good. So, like, this might happen. If it does, please see someone. However, yeah, it's a thing, you know? Yeah. Be worried. Don't be too unduly worried. Yeah. 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 I, you know, um... So, yeah, apparently, so I guess, you know, when you're going through your teenage years and apparently the menopause as well are two other times when breast lumps are plentiful. Okay. Um, Yeah, so that happened and I was obviously very relieved and I'm I'm kind of, I want to write about it. I kind of feel like... You should. It's, I'm going to explore it more and speak to some experts. But that's, that's my finding so far. Okay. And I think that's probably my update okay yeah that's all i've got emma emma what's going on with you well i haven't had a particularly jazzy week um so there is gonna be pregnancy chat now guys so if you want to skip please skip and begin now commence the skipping um i haven't had a very jazzy week apart from the jazz ponies that we found on friday at hamley's oh my god we went to hamley's <laughs> to buy some presents for gabby's twin sisters who are eight eight, eight years old and we went in and we were like, oh, what should we get them? And then we found these sequined beanie baby unicorns. Oh, my God. They were... They're off the charts. They were the best things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I just regret not buying one for the baby. Well, as I told you at the time, yeah, I know where they are. So mm-hmm. Auntie Gabby will be uh, we're getting one for your... For Ziggy. For Ziggy. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, talking of that, I, I finally reached the point where I can't pretend that my sticky belly is anything other than a human child because for a long time I was saying it's carbs it's just all the carbs that I've been eating you were and you kept saying it was progesterone to me yeah but it I've definitely got a sticky tummy now oh yes it's really like it's very exciting and it's what I've always wanted mm-hmm. but also I'm at that awkward point where wearing like overtly maternity clothes looks weird Mm. but wearing normal clothes makes me look fat Mm. so like we went for quite posh meal the other night and I just wore like bright red heels like heeled ankle boots not very high though but yeah um black jeans like skinny jeans and a black polo neck Mm. 
And I was like, looking at the mirror at home, and I was like, oh, I look all right. And then this restaurant that we went to had like mirrors all over the place. And everywhere I looked, all I could see was my belly. And it just looked like I just... I'd eaten far too many pies in one go. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I just looked a bit tubby. Oh. And it's just, For the first time in your life. Yeah, well, no. I'm still, it's funny because I've gained five pounds so far and I'm still below the weight that I was at at university. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so that's fun. Um, anyway, so that was quite exciting, I suppose. Yeah, that is it's exciting. Weird. I, I like it'll be nice when I've got like a proper belly mm. that'll be nice mm. and I've got so many clothes for it because I spent the last three and a half years buying clothes and being like well when I get pregnant I'll be able to wear that right yeah yeah I've got a pair of jeans actually yeah um they are I bought them they're quite expensive like Michael Kors jeans but Ooh. I got them in TK Maxx yeah snuffled that for a bargain and I they're they're like maybe two sizes too big for me to be really? fair but I refuse to throw them out because they're good jeans and I got them at a bargain yeah. and one day I'll be pregnant and I'll probably be able to wear them yeah well that's it and I've got so many dresses that just like have a little bit of room in front mm, yeah um so yes and then the other thing that I did was I did an Instagram post about basically um I've been talking to I was texting my mum about like another anxious session that I was having and she found an article from 2015 that was in the New York Times that had like a weird New York Times headline because that's how they do it and it was all about anxiety during pregnancy after IVF Mm mm-hmm and I just posted a screenshot of it and basically said, like, it turns out pregnancy after IVF is n- not, like, the kind of catharsis and achievement you think it will be. Mm. Um, and, and you do end up feeling quite anxious and, you know, it can be hard. It's not hard compared to doing IVF or being infertile, but it's hard in that you can't kind of relax and rejoice. Mm. As much? Well, that's the thing. Like, I I expect to fully enjoy my pregnancy and be, like, just yeah. the whole time just walking around being, like, I'm so happy this has happened to me. Well, I've got Finally. to say, I'm definitely relaxing into it now. Like, I'm getting into the swing of things now. But it, you know, because I had all the bleeding and because I had all the difficult stuff at the beginning, it was hard to relax into. Mm. Um, but anyway, yeah, so... I got, hang on, just finding it, um, 286 likes on that. Ooh. Which, I mean, makes me feel like a legend. You are a legend. Um, but basically, and, and a lot of comments from mm. people who have, have like had pregnancies and gone on to have babies, from people who've had losses, from people who haven't been pregnant yet, but have kind of foreseen what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, everybody kind of acknowledging that it's not as easy... It's just not straightforward, mm. you know. And I, I, I find it hard to say that it's not, that it's hard. I find it hard to say that it's hard because, you know, it's so much easier than the monthly kind of yeah cycle well, of misery. Yeah. And I suppose there's some of us, you know, who are sitting here thinking, well, you know, it can't be, it can't be hard. It's like we're going yeah. through all of this infertility stuff and yeah but I guess it's not as kind of I don't feel as 
celebratory as I hoped I would. Yeah. I I can understand that. And that's good for, it's good for people who are still trying to hear that because I think it's good to know that it's not going to be a bed of roses when it happens. So many people said, God, this is exactly what I've gone through. You know, I found it really hard. Some really difficult stories, you know, people who've had multiple losses who yeah. said there's no way I'd ever be able to relax into pregnancy, mm. which is so hard, so 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 hard. And you know, by contrast, I've had it pretty effing easy. I also have from a couple of people who've had almost the exact same starts for their pregnancy as me, in that they had some bleeding and were told by some random bitch EPU nurse that they're losing the baby, mm. um, which is helpful. Well, there we go. Yeah, but um, I but think you've. You tapped into something with that post. Yeah, I just, I think, so. um, firstly, I just think as a community, we need to acknowledge that once you're infertile, or once you've dealt with this, you're always going to deal with this. Mm. And to be honest, I think I'd much rather hang out with people who've been through this than people who haven't been through this, yeah, as, you know, as moms and as pregnant ladies. Because there's only so many times you can hear somebody going, oh, I don't know what I'd do if it was a boy. <laughs> like you know say what you like about infertile women but they are badass yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so yeah. yeah so i'm gonna have to find my tribe of like ivf mums yes yeah yeah, yeah. you're not um, just gonna run off and start hanging out with like really smug mums no smuggy mummies i i think i think as as ivf survivors you're just hopefully less smug yeah and smugness really isn't like it's a disease it really is. It's a terrible affliction. It, it absolutely is. Yeah. Pray for them. We will. We pray for them. Um, but yeah, no, I just think we need to acknowledge as a community that infertility doesn't stop at pregnancy, which is a weird thing to say because it kind of does. But also, once you've been through this, you're scarred. Yeah. You're part of the club, so... You are. Like yeah. that's that's the reality you are part of the club and you you've moved to, to a different part club. of the club yeah you're in a different stage in the club you're in that room that um in gentlemen's clubs women aren't allowed into yeah exactly yeah while the rest of us are still outside yeah hammering on the door yeah. <laughs> um yeah i've been there um yeah but basically yeah you're once infertile always infertile and i'm sorry to say that well, and even if you're, and I, the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, I heard from quite a few people who said, well, you know, I got pregnant just before we were due to start IVF. And you and me have made a lot of jokes about those people and been, we have. been mean. We have been disparaging. And I, I actually take all that back because it can be hard. And, you know, there's people who have, who get pregnant and then have a loss and then can't go back and start IVF again. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, we all have our struggles and it's still a struggle absolutely yeah so sorry about that guys cool yeah anyway enough of the philosophical (laughs) enough of the philosophical lecture enough of the navel gazing yeah exactly um cool yeah that's been my week how many weeks do you know um 17 in a couple of days oh i know 17 yeah i don't really know what that means i don't really know what that means either there you go folks 17 (laughs) make of that what you will hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does they charge you a lot 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Dee, thank you so much for coming on. We're very excited to have you here. I'm excited. <laughs> Because we're about to have a very sexy chat. We are. Yeah. We are. Okay. We are. Not nearly enough sexy chat goes on with all this infertility malarkey. <laughs> quite right. Well, okay. So, <laughs> should we kick off with quite, I guess, quite a straightforward question? Because you know, one of the, we talk about IVF a lot on the podcast, but we rarely talk about actually just shagging, getting down yeah. and dirty. So, what yeah. are the what are the most kind of common myths that you come across? What are people getting wrong the most? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, when it comes to sex, what are they getting wrong the most? I think that I think that probably they're getting the timing wrong the most. Okay. Mm. Um, The vast majority of people come in and say um, either that they read on the Internet or that their GP has told them, oh, just have sex every two to three days throughout your cycle. And within a year, you should be pregnant. Right. And I just don't think that that is the best advice. Um, I think if your relationship is able to cope with having sex every two to three days of every month (laughs) for 12 months for a year. You mean it's not boosted by that? (laughs) Well, exactly. I mean, I think that there's I think there's a myth amongst doctors that that is not a stressful thing to say to clients, to patients. Um, they think that it's going to stress patients out to try and work out when ovulation is or work out when their fertile window is. Um, and they don't, and they think that by saying to them, oh, just have sex every two, three, two to three days, you know, like that's nothing. I mean, mm. who on earth, <laughs> you know, really? I, mean, I don't know about from, you guys, but. <laughs> well, exactly. Apart from the most highly sexed of us. And the thing is, as well, is that when you're trying to get pregnant, the whole sex side of things very quickly gets spoiled. Yeah. So, you know, it is a very rare couple that I meet who are able, hand on heart, to say, yeah, that's fine. We can do that. And it's no drama. Oh, it just becomes so- a chore. Well, it, of course it becomes a chore. Of course it does. And of course, you know, baby making sex quickly becomes a chore, kind of whichever way you go about it. And mm. I suppose the other thing to say about this is that it's, you know, it's not one size fits all. Different strategies will work for different couples. 
Um, and it's about trying to find out what's going to work best for you. So, I mean, I was trained in, um, in a specialty called fertility awareness. And that is about, you know, easily identifying your fertile window and working out when you ovulate and all the rest of it. And there's no getting away from it. No matter what doctors say, there is no getting away from it. You only ovulate once a month. Your egg only survives for, you know, less than 24 hours. And yes, your fertile window is wider than that because sperm can live in the female reproductive tract for longer than that. And so your fertile window is stretched to maybe four or five days to take account of the fact that the sperm that can, you know, the sperm can be in your body um, before you ovulate and can still be alive when the egg pops out. Um, I've lost my tra- my train of thought slightly. <laughs> well, I tell you what, let, let's um, you know, you're talking about being aware of your fertility and when your fertile yeah. window is. What are the best ways of doing that? Because we hear a lot about tracking and using apps yeah. and using yeah, and all kinds of stuff. But yeah. you know, what are the most foolproof ways of doing it? Well, I think I think uh, uh, yeah, there's apps, there's tracking, there's basal body temperature, um, and you can you know it's fair to say up front that you know you can get quite if you're somebody that's inclined to get very stressed about things that all of that might not be right for you Mm. and if you find it taking over your thoughts and your life you know then you need to move to something more simple what I now do after years and years of teaching women how to do this I now focus on spical fluid Um, And I don't very often talk to women about temperature taking anymore. Sometimes temperature taking can be helpful to start off with because um, it can help you just reassure yourself that you actually are ovulating. You know, when you see that thermal shift in the middle of the month and you can see that ovulation has taken place, that can be reassuring. But after you've done that, actually to just take notice of what's going on with your cervical fluid is the most foolproof way. I think it's much better than peeing on a stick. You know, I mean, I, I peed on stick, loads of sticks in my time, actually in a kind of like effort to research what all the ovulation predictor kit sticks were like and there was I you know an expert with a kind of like postgraduate certificate in this stuff and I couldn't understand what these sticks were you know were trying to tell me it might be that they're (laughs) that they're much more sophisticated now but um, I think keeping an eye on your cervical fluid is the best way to do it Mm. and it might change from one month to the next, but so long as you're in tune with your body and you notice when your cervical fluid appears, then it doesn't matter actually if you've got an irregular cycle because it might turn up on day nine or 10 one month. The next month it might not appear till day 15 or 16 or later than that or earlier than that. And so long as you notice it and you're aware that it's there, then that's telling you, right, these are my fertile days. And so if you, um, I mean, that's really good to hear because I did the basal temperature for a while and it drove me insane. Um, So yes, I'm I'm glad to hear this. And then, so if you're looking out for your cervical mucus changes, when... Can we just not use the word mucus, please? (laughs) Do you know, I must tell you a funny story. There's that kind of like the the worldwide guru on fertility awareness is this American woman called Toni Veschler. And she's written this amazing book called called Taking Charge of Your Fertility. And if you're at the start, 
start of your trying to conceive um, journey, as we all say. That's a really good book to read. Um, mm. And don't be put off by the size of it. It costs about 12 quid, you know, and you can get it pretty much everywhere. Um, you only need to read half of it if you're trying to get pregnant. The other half is about using the method to avoid pregnancy. But anyway, she tells a really funny story in that book about how years ago she was being interviewed by a radio show or something. Well, I think it was a radio show about the book. And um, and they said to her, just one thing to say before the interview, you absolutely must not use the term cervical mucus. We think it's really too, it's too nauseating. It'll make all our reasons really squeamish. <laughs> they insisted, they insisted that she call it cervical fluid instead. It's quite funny. And I've always called it cervical fluid ever since. Oh, but, um, yeah, I... all sorts of funny things it gets called. Fanny snot. That's oh, what I Oh, no. That's <laughs> the worst. So back to Gabby's genuinely good question. <laughs> the best way now this is going to be this is a little bit you know in the tmi area but oh the best go for way, it no such thing okay. on this podcast yeah. good the best way to look out for your cervical fluid or as one of my colleagues i once heard her saying to a patient sometimes your cervical fluid doesn't show itself to you as easily as it does in other days and i thought oh i really like that the idea that the cervical fluid is deciding whether to show itself to you or not so <laughs> the best way is if you go to the loo by which i mean you go for a poo Every day, which is, you know, in the clinical terms, do you have a daily bowel habit, Mm -hmm. Adam? Um, If you go to the loo every day, then um, look out for your cervical fluid after you've been for a poo. Because if you think back to your O-level biology days and you imagine a cross-section diagram of a woman's body, the large intestine and the back passage is immediately behind the uterus and the vagina and the cervix. And when a poo gets pushed down through your back passage it is gently massaging the back wall of your vagina and the cervical fluid is all created by special cells um, near your cervix and basically as the poo gets pushed down it pushes the cervical fluid out at the same time oh my god so you, yeah so you wipe at the back when you wipe at the front you just notice right does the does it feel quite slippy and slidey have a look at the tissue does it look like it's shining and glistening because cervical mucus has got quite a sort of a shine to it it looks like a bit of a snail trail (laughs) Um, and you know and I say to people as well get your fingers in there touch it stretch it see if it stretches between your thumb and forefinger you know you can wash your hands and when you've got a baby you're going to be dealing far worse bodily fluids than that oh yeah so um so that's what I tell people and it's really interesting I tell every single woman who comes into my clinic that and they're literally they're the dawning realization on their face as they realize that that stuff has not been coming out of their asshole all these years. Oh my God. So many women, so many women said to me, oh, I thought that was coming out of my back passage with no. my poo. No, what? it's coming out of your vagina. Are you joking? Oh my Lord. I am blushing, but that is some good, good stuff right there. Okay. I'm sorry to get quite so graphic quite so soon. Don't be silly. I've... Just, just to get a little bit more graphic, what, what consistency yeah. are we looking for here? Well, see, this is the thing as well, is that it really, really changes um, from one woman to the next. The most fertile consistency, if you like, is the stuff that's really, really stretchy. So, and actually thinking, you know, um, if you think about some of the lubricants that are around, if you imagine what it's like to put some, um, some, sex lubricant between your thumb and forefinger and stretch it out you you can see that it stretches for several centimeters without snapping that's what you're looking for with fertile cervical fluid mm. it doesn't matter so much 
what colour it is, because there's lots of different colours. You know, there's a whole spectrum from, you might see cervical fluid that's slightly brown, that's got the tinge of oxidised blood in it, or it might be a little bit pink, or it might look slightly yellowy or creamy, or even, you know... It's a, a rainbow. A, a hint of a green. It is a bit of a rainbow. And so long as... It's a you know, rainbow. And so long as you don't have any other symptoms of any kind of infection then that's all completely normal. And what I always say to people is it's about, you can't really tell when you first start to look. You, you've got to compare it with over a period of time. So mm. I say to people, you know, notice what's going on for you. Jot down a couple of, actually, there's no substitute for a pen and paper. Mm. You know, just get a pen and paper and write day 13, slightly yellow, gloopy. You know, day 14, a bit less yellow, more watery. Day 15, clearer and more stretchy. The idea is as well is that it should get slightly clearer as it gets more stretchy. Right. And um, so, so let's say that someone has noticed that they have their... Um, influx of cm as we're going to call it um (laughs) (laughs) should they should they expect ovulation that day is it going to be within the next two to three days um because i know it all depends really okay it all depends everybody is different young young fertile teenagers produce far more copious um cm than um you know than women in their late 20s women in their late 30s and as we get older as we get into our late 30s and early 40s the quantity and quality of cervical fluid reduces Mm. so i meet lots of women in the clinic who might only have one day of fertile cervical fluid Um, and i've met much younger women who might have seven or eight or nine consecutive days of cervical fluid and that's one of the reasons why why younger women find it easier to get pregnant um so um okay so your question was when does it mean you're going to ovulate it all depends and it depends on what your pattern is Mm. but the the good news is is that your pattern once you've established it your pattern should be fairly consistent from one cycle to the next even if you've got an irregular cycle so people whose cycles fluctuate by a few days i'm not talking about massively irregular like people with pcos but you know if you're somebody who's like oh one month it's 29 days the next month it's 30 the next day month it's 27 you probably will find that you will still have say for argument's sake um one day of sticky cervical fluid followed by two or three days of more stretchy cervical fluid and that'll be the same even though your period is coming at different times from one month to the next Mm, okay it tends to be that um what happens is that ovulation usually happens after what we call the peak day, which is the last day of um, fertile cervical fluid, which is usually the day where it's most copious, most wet, most stretchy. Um, And then the next day, it will disappear because after ovulation, your body produces, starts to produce progesterone, which hasn't been present in the first half of the cycle. And progesterone does a number of things. And two of the things that it does that are relevant for this discussion are, one is that it's a heat-producing hormone, so it elevates your body temperature. So that's what you're seeing on your basal body temperature chart. Ah, When your temperature goes up, you're seeing the presence of progesterone. And the second thing that progesterone does is it clumps up your cervical fluid into um, a much more sticky, clumpy consistency. And that forms a plug in your cervix. And then you don't notice um, your cervical fluid again for the rest of that cycle. I feel like I'm learning so much today. So much. So much science. (laughs) So much. Um, (laughs) 
Back to the back to sex. So let's say you've got your your CM, your cervical fluid, and you're yeah. getting down, Wait. shagging. Are there any positions that you should adopt to um... <laughs> maximize your chances? No. Yeah, well, my t- my teaching was that the missionary position and a rear entry position are the most efficient from. Um, for the point of view of, of getting sick, of hey, um, getting pregnant. It's all about efficiency at this point, guys, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, there's a, an interesting tip on this front. Um, if you are one of the about 40% of women who've got a tilted cervix or a retroverted uterus, same thing. Have you ever heard of that before? Mm-hmm. It's, um, so most of us have got a uterus that I'm, I'm waving my hands around in the air, thinking that you can see me drawing these diagrams in the air. Um, most people, you know, your vagina goes in at an angle of about, oh, how to, how to describe it, you know, 45 degrees towards your back. And then your uterus is actually tipped forwards towards your belly button. People don't realize that. I think we all imagine that our internal organs are totally vertical, you know, suspended mm. in our body vertical, but your uterus is actually tipped forwards towards your belly button. And that puts your cervix in a particular position. But about 40% of women have either got an upright uterus or their uterus is tipped towards their back. And that puts their cervix into a different position. Okay. So what that means is that after ejaculation, um, the women who are in the first group, their cervix is sitting in a little pool of semen, if you like. And it's, it's, a bit easier for the sperm to swim up through the cervix and into the uterus and in the other group of women the uterus the cervix rather might not be fully immersed in the semen so what we say this comes on to I think there's something that you asked Professor Tim about in one of your earlier podcasts you know is it true that you should do handstands and headstands in bed and stick your legs up the wall and all the rest of it and then he gave some very sensible advice about that but what we say to people with a tilted cervix is um, stay in bed for about 20 minutes after you've had sex if you can and lie for 10 minutes on your back and turn over and then lie for 10 minutes on your front, which just moves the semen around to fully, you know, cover the whole of the cervix. And the other thing is that, (laughs) the other thing is, is that in women who do have that tilted cervix, a rear entry position might be better for you because Mm. the, as ejaculation happens, the semen is hitting the target of the cervix in a slightly, at a slightly better angle from um, doggy position or an all fours position. I'm imagining them kind of flying in formation, like, like <laughs> World War II planes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what's really funny is that every time I have this conversation with a couple and, you know, the woman goes, oh, yeah, I think actually last time I went for my cervical smear, the nurse did say that my uterus was tilted. And actually that's how you would usually find out. Nurses say. say, yeah, when you go for a smear, they'll say, oh, your cervix is in a bit of an awkward position or it's, oh, it's tilted a bit to the back, you know, and they yeah. have to go rummaging around to reach it a little bit more. So the woman will say, you know, oh, yes, I think I am in that category. And I'll say, oh, well, in that case, the rear entry position might work better for you. And you could see the bloke's eyes light up. They all <laughs> seem to have. And, abs- and the woman invariably is going, oh, God. You know? <laughs> and I just oh, say to her, Just for a spanner in the works. Um, <laughs> yes. Mine tilts to the left. Should I, should I oh, be doing this um, on my side? <laughs> me. Oh, and that, you know, I have sex. never, I have never been told that by anybody before. That's <laughs> You're a freak, very, Gabby. That's, You're a freak. Every day, every day is a school day. <laughs> Yours tilts to the left. How interesting. Well, yeah, I think you need to sort of like turn yourself like a rotisserie chicken as you're lying, <laughs> as you're lying in the bed afterwards. <laughs> 
I mean, you know, all of this, none of this, there's no proper research evidence on any of this. You can imagine trying to design a study on it. You just couldn't do it. So it's anecdotal stuff, you know, and, mm. and it's it's just, you know, chuck it into the mix in case it helps. And um, I mean, we've talked about cervical mucus a little bit. What about the artificial version? So lubricants, are they, Yeah. you know, do, do you always have to get a special fertility friendly one? Can yeah. you not just use like the Durex stuff? KY no. jelly, that's what I'm thinking. No, of. you can't. Okay. You must you must use a fertility friendly one because any of the other ones have got all sorts of nasty ingredients in them that are really bad for sperm. Sperm, you know, they're quite delicate little soldiers really <laughs> they um you know it's it's there's all sorts of things that they don't like so um no I would definitely use um one of the fertility friendly ones you know and there's more and more of them available now it used to be that I think the original one was pre-seed and then that. something Didn't called work. yeah conceive plus oh right oh yeah that's one I've got yeah 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 <laughs> zestica conceive plus um you know they all sort of do the same job now but um yeah any of the durex ones or um mm. or any of the kind of like ordinary um boots brand ones will not be a good idea stay away yeah yeah absolutely and um so I, I read I think I read an article in the sun once that said uh if a woman did an orgasm then she wouldn't get pregnant Oh God! What what say you to that? I mean, <laughs> well, can you think about that for a minute? I actually, I often discuss this with, with couples in the clinic. You know, if a woman doesn't orgasm, if a, if you needed a woman to orgasm orgasm in order to get pregnant, the human race would have died out a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. who amongst us? And the other thing is, actually, that I will come back to that in a second, but the other thing is, is that, you know, the conversations that I have with women actually about orgasm and about, you know, I've spoken to some women who, who didn't realise until they sat down to speak to me that most women don't orgasm through penetrative sex. <laughs> and, you know, I remember, I remember explaining to one woman, well, no, but most of us don't orgasm just through penetrative sex. And she said... I thought it was only me. It was oh. really sad, actually. Yeah. Oh. So then we had a whole discussion about her discovering her own orgasm for herself and oh. going oh. off and doing some. Yeah, her life is much better on now. Her own. Absolutely. Well, to be fair, if so you no, know that's not cosmopolitan, true. Then um, you probably do think that all women orgasm at the touch of a button. God, I haven't read a Cosmopolitan for about fifteen years. Oh but yeah, do, I mean, really, do they still go on about that nonsense? Well, I just remember is... my friend on the back of the bus being like. Orgasm all the time, and then there were stories about like people on buses orgasming, and then oh well, they must be those hyper hyper orgasmic people yeah, who well, they, you know yeah. just just need to be standing next to a spin spinning washing machine. And they're, um, <laughs> and I mean, there are some people who suffer from an awful condition where they can't stop, mm. you know, climaxing, and it's actually really quite debilitating. But it's very very unusual. Yeah, I've heard that. There is some anecdotal evidence that if a woman orgasms, it might help things because the idea is, although we don't realise it, as well as the clitoris and the vaginal walls contracting during an orgasm, the cervix also contracts. And the idea is, do you remember I was describing the cervix? sitting in that little puddle of semen that mm. as it contracts during the female orgasm that it sort of sucks up a greater proportion of semen into the uterus so I do talk to women about that but you know I always say don't get too stressed out about it if you know if rich if, if achieving an orgasm at the right time becomes you know the next thing that you have to do in order to get pregnant and it really starts to stress you out then that's not helping um, but you know for people who who don't mind you know trying that then that's a good idea and what so what I'm saying to them then in that case is 
have an orgasm after your man has ejaculated. And there's another reason for that, actually, which is that the female orgasm changes the pH of the vagina ever so slightly and makes it slightly more acidic. And so, and sperm prefer an alkaline environment. So if the woman comes first and then the guy ejaculates, the sperm are arriving into a slightly more acidic environment and they don't really like it. Right. I mean, again, you know, we're splitting hairs here. It's, mm. um, you know, the most important thing is to get the sperm in there. Um, so, Good to but, know. and the other thing that I always say to them, and then, you know, we often get into conversations where they're going, oh, but, you know, God, you know, how long is it going to take him to make me calm after he's ejaculated and all the rest of it? Because he's lying there in a collapsed heap. And I just say, kick him out of bed. Yeah. Tell him to go and make you a cup of tea and finish the job off yourself. <laughs> Absolutely fair. And you can probably do it better as well. I mean, actually, well, talking of course. Of that, shall we talk about the boys very briefly? Um, talk about the what? Sorry, I didn't The boys, the lads. Yes, definitely. Um, we must talk about the lads. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, you know, there's there's some studies that have shown that them um what's the euphemism that i can use oh just wanking alone basically yeah cleaning their pipes them cleaning their pipes is a good thing to do fairly regularly so even if you're not if you don't like have time or you can't get it together is it worth them yes having a wank definitely (laughs) absolutely definitely and this is something that i think that the the sort of knowledge and the research on this has really has really come on in the last few years um i used to you know all the time have couples in the clinic where he would be saying oh she's told me i'm not allowed to have a wank and i've got to save it all up and you know and no absolutely not it is really good for the quality and quantity of sperm for the man to ejaculate regularly what happens is actually there's a sort of a blog that I wrote ages ago and I have to credit this story to wherever I heard it first it was Cheryl Homer who is Dr Cheryl Homer who's a great um, male uh, specialist a sperm specialist in London an andrologist and she told this story once um, about imagine that sperm are like the people on an underground train and the testicles are manufacturing new sperm all the time it's not like ovaries that only produce one egg a month they're constantly manufacturing new sperm new sperm so imagine that all the people on the train are the sperm and the train goes along to the next stop and the doors open no one gets off, but loads more people get on. And oh. then the doors close, it moves on to the next stop, and so on and so on, all the way down the line. And the train is getting fuller and fuller with more and more passengers, and there's no seats left, and people are starting to feel really hot, and they're falling asleep, and they're knackered, and they're puking, and fainting, and dizzy. And then the train gets to the end of the line, and the doors finally open, all the passengers get off, and no one has got enough energy to actually climb all the way up the stairs and get out onto the the street. So in other words, none of the sperm are in any fit state to actually (laughs) swim up through the vagina and all the way to the fallopian tubes and fertilise the egg. And, And that's a really good analogy. That's exactly what it's like. So unless the bloke makes sure that he ejaculates regularly, and by regularly I mean, you know, at least every two to three days, he shouldn't let anybody, a man who's trying to get his partner pregnant, shouldn't let more than three days go by without ejaculating okay whether that's having a quiet wank in the shower on his own or whether he's you know whether you're actually having sex with each other Mm. and actually professor alan pacey who is um another um another andrologist at sheffield university who's um who's a really good speaker on all of this sort of thing i've heard him say at more than one event actually if you've got you know if you're ejaculating daily 
that's absolutely fine. There's no contraindications for that, unless you are a man with a low sperm count, and that a very specific you know, exclusion there. If you don't have very many sperm, it's not to do with how motile they are or what the morphology is like. If you don't have very many, then when you are um, doing your baby making sex during the fertile window, you should only have sex every other day. But, but all other blokes, which is the vast majority of them, are in the other category. So regular ejaculation, really, really good news. I once had, uh, I just remembered a client who came to see me years and years ago and she was in her mid-30s and her partner was only about 21 or 22 and I was telling her this about, you know, oh, you know he needs to make sure that he ejaculates regularly and she looked at me right in the eye and she said, Dee, he's 21, if he doesn't ejaculate every day he starts bumping into the furniture. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, oh, that's so, so funny. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yes. um, so we don't have a huge amount of time left, but I just wanted to ask a couple hmm. of questions that are related to IVF because we can't let a podcast pass without a bit of IVF chat. Um, one of the first things is that I, I read in a lot of places that you should have sex the night before an embryo transfer because having a spermy vagina helps the embryo to stick. Oh. Is that true? Is that like a I weird rumour? I have no idea. I have never heard that before. Okay. How interesting. How interesting. Um, well, I, feel I very honestly sorry can't comment on that. <laughs> I have never heard that before. I wonder what that's related to. There is some, I did hear some research um, a while ago that was talking about, it was talking again about, about when couples have sex. And it was saying, um, you know, we used to think that only sex in the fertile window contributed to pregnancy. And then they did a study a couple of years ago that showed that couples who had sex, you know, at other times during the month were more likely to get pregnant than couples who only had sex during the first whole window. Really? And I can't quite, yeah, I can't quite remember the science behind it, but it was something to do with exactly what you've just described. It was something to do with the presence of semen in the female reproductive tract making the woman more fertile and I thought it was to do with sort of hormone messages going backwards and forwards and that if there was semen present in the female reproductive tract even at the non-fertile times that it was more likely to make her ovulate but maybe it's something to do with what this story that you've heard and maybe there's you know something that makes the um the endometrium more receptive um or more sticky but I honestly I've never heard that before okay and, and what about after an embryo transfer is, you know, I think a lot of people will have their embryo transfer and then they spend the two week wait just trying not to jiggle about too much. Right. So, so, so from a safety point of view. Yeah. I mean, can can you have it, sex yeah. after it? You know, there's I, even I've done this. I had my embryo transfer and then I was too scared to go to the loo, which I know is stupid. Yeah. yeah. You can't well, wee it's... out an embryo. No, you can't wee out an embryo. And I mean, you know, once it's once it's stuck in there, actually, it might be helpful to think about um, to think about the inside of the uterus, because I think people imagine that it's like a vessel, you know, that it's this empty like vase thing. And actually, it's not. It's um, it's much more closely, you know, pressed together than that. Mm. So that sometimes helps to think of the, the, you know, the embryo being really nestled in there. 
Um, but no, I mean, there's no reason why you shouldn't have sex after an MBA transfer, unless somebody at the hospital has told you not to for some specific reason. Mm. Um, but um, no, there's there's absolutely no reason. And I mean, if, you know, after an MBA transfer, you you as long as you feel okay, you can just go about your life as normal, um, mm. which is you know easy to say and <laughs> yeah. bloody difficult to actually do. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. And um and D, I guess one one final one for the road. Mm. Um for those of us that are um, you know, have been trying for a while, uh, you know, coming up two years, um, and you know, on this mad kind of sex schedule every month, um, yeah. you know, how do you keep the kind of magic alive and stop it? I know we talked about the chore earlier. How do you yeah. stop it becoming just that? Is there anything to do to stop yourselves going mad? I, do you know there is there's no magic answer to that and again it will just it will just depend you know from one couple to the next I try to say to people you know sometimes I say to women um you know some do what floats his boat if he is a bit more of a morning person and you would really rather not do it in the morning but um you know but what I'm getting at is that the more aroused he is, the more, you know, that the better the quality of the ejaculation is going to be. But actually, that's not really answering the question that you've asked. I think it's really, really hard. And I think that trying to maintain the quality of the connection in your relationship with each other outside the bedroom is going to help with that as much um, as much as possible. You know, treating yourself, going and staying in nice places might help a little bit. But, you know, even that sort of thing, you know, I, people say, oh, you know, we're going off to this lovely spa hotel for the weekend. And then I turn around and say, oh, by the way, don't use the sauna or the steam room because, you know, you'll completely fry your sperm and you, oh, God, you know, you can't even enjoy that. So I, I don't think there is any easy, easy answer to that. I think mm. trying to maintain the the mental connection between the two of you and trying to talk to each other and trying to to say, you know, God, this is shit, isn't it? I know it's really difficult and I know you must just feel like I'm trying to flipping milk you for your sperm. But, you know, I do really love you and, you know, and we both really want this baby. I, you know, and, you know, blokes do find it harder to talk about than the women. And, and you know, sometimes I'm, I say to, to some women, you know, who I maybe suspect are being super, super stressy and super controlling about it, look, just give him a blowjob every once in a while so that he knows <laughs> that, you know, you are still attracted to him and that you want to do that for yeah. him. And he knows full well that it's nothing to do with having sex. Not, and not, sorry, nothing to do with having a baby. But even as I say that to her, I'm thinking to myself, and there I go, giving her yet one more job to do. You know, not mm. only, love, have you got to worry about your fertile window and your timing and, you know, and all the myriad things that you're stressed about. I'm now saying to you as well, oh, and could you throw into the mix giving your boy, your bloke a nice, you know, cheeky blowjob every once in a while as if you haven't got enough to stress about. So it just depends on, you know, different things work for different people. Yeah, I suppose you've got to prove somehow that you don't mind wasting a bit of sperm every once in a while. Exactly. Exactly <laughs> so. That's that is what it is. Don't cry over his spilt milk. No, exactly. <laughs> and you know, the other thing, I know we've got to finish, but the other thing that really, really helps some couples to know, because it, of course it becomes a complete nightmare when erectile dysfunction comes into the equation. So when he either can't get it up or he can get it up and then he doesn't maintain an erection or he can't ejaculate or he ejaculates too soon. But I mean, that's not so much an issue, but not being able to ejaculate, you know, all of those things which are on the spectrum of erectile dysfunction. 
And then he gets so downhearted because, mm. you know, all he wants to do is get a fantastic stiffy and, you know, shoot his load and, you know, have these wonderful, fantastic sperm. Best load Fertilise this egg. Exactly. And, you know, it really, really affects men's real sense of self, you know, not to be able to do that. And what I try to do in those situations where the performance side of things, the performance pressure is getting too much, is talk to them actually about, okay, listen, this is about getting A and B together so that we can make C. There are more than one, you know, it's more than one way to skin a cat. If you can get that semen into your vagina using a turkey baster, then do it. I have helped loads of couples get pregnant that way. Um, you know, and there's particular bits of kit that you can buy now for not very much money that help with that sort of things. And you can almost see the bloke's shoulders sag with relief as they realise, you know, and sometimes the bloke will say to me, oh, I've said to her that we should use a turkey baster, but she wants to do it all romantic. And, you know, she thinks it won't be a proper conception if the baby isn't conceived in this, you know, terribly romantic way. And I just say to them, listen, you've been at it for long enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes a lot of men that I've spoken to with erectile dysfunction, if they've got the, you know, the syringe in the drawer by the bedside table and they know that they can fall back on that, that is enough to relieve the pressure enough for the performance to all go really well. So, oh, well, there we go. Well, on that happy note, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, Dee. Yeah, you're thank very you. welcome. It's lovely to talk to you both. Thank That's you. some proper sex education. Yeah, I've learned so much. <laughs> good, good, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad to, I'm glad to have you. Okay, that's it, guys. That's a wrap, guys. Um, again, apologies that there's no IVF or the F this week, but um, yeah, we're, we're trying to sort it out. <laughs> oh. If anybody's got any uh, call recording yeah, tips, actually, that's a good point. If anyone can help me, I used to use something called Taper Call yeah. on uh, iPhone, and I just can't find anything that's equivalent on Android. Yeah, I'm gutted because I've really enjoyed my um, Android experience so far. <laughs> I was turning into a tech podcast. Yeah, sorry everyone. Um, <laughs> but I was just so scared to move from my Apple, and and yeah, and I've enjoyed it. And it. now it's now. Well, well, we'll upload her unboxing video later. <laughs> my review will be available on the website. <laughs> but other than that, have a good week, everyone. Have a good week, guys. Bye. Bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.